You probably know that Welch's grape juice was invented by a Methodist minister, or at least that's how the story goes. And if a Methodist minister invented grape juice and his Baptist friend in the parish next door got word of it, it meant they didn't have to use wine at communion anymore. And uh, we still don't, at least around here. Oh, I've heard stories about rogue deacons in different churches uh, substitute the wine for the juice. And then the mortified faces of the deacons on the front row who realized what someone had done. I've never had that happen myself. I hope it doesn't happen. But it does make me wonder if, well, if when you turn to John 2... If, historically speaking, you look back at pastors who got sick on Sunday morning, if they got sick more often on the Jesus turning water into wine story than, say, other stories. Because, you know, our temperance-influenced grandfathers and grandmothers and, 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 and great-grandfathers and great-grandmothers may not have wanted to reckon much with this story. Because Jesus performs a miracle, turns water into wine, and keeps the party going for a long time afterwards. There's a lot of ways where we can take this story and fashion it in whatever direction we want to. Now, of course, this story is not just about water and wine. It's about what God does and who God is. And there's so much more to say about it. And I I hope what we see is in this first miracle that Jesus performs, we see how Jesus, through his miracles, delivers hope and peace and joy and love, and and how on the third day, there is the love of God fully. And we experience the delight of the Lord in a way that shapes our future. I hope some or all of that is, is in there as I speak. And I hope you hear some of that as we read from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there, there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars up with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who drew the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed him. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If there's a place as far away from Cana or water and wine to begin, I'm going to start there. And that place is IBM, the International Business Machines Company, and a recent commercial that they have been playing on different podcasts and stuff. IBM, an IBM commercial that is not for a semi-electric typewriter, a personal computer, an AS400, a supercomputing mainframe, or even Watson. The advertisement was this. IBM doesn't just make great products and services. IBM crafts experiences that delight users and shape the future. I'm sure that's exactly what you thought about IBM when you sat down to your typewriter at work. This advertisement doesn't in any way, shape, or form sound like your father's typewriter company or my father's uh, PC installation company. Though IBM may have been doing this for the last hundred or so years, they have made an amazing statement about who they are and a statement that, that really should translate well beyond the walls and services of IBM. It's a brilliant slogan and mission statement. I'll say it again. IBM crafts experiences that delight users and shape the future. But what I love about it when I hear it is not that like some design firm came up with a great slogan. I love that that it describes who God is, who the church should be, and what our faith should be be and feel like. This is what the church should be about. Because I believe this is what God is about and and in a way, this is most clear at this wedding reception that Jesus was at in Cana. Now think about a wedding reception. Think about the best wedding reception you've ever been to besides your own. Remember how fun it was? Remember how enjoyable it was to be with people you loved, to celebrate a couple you were excited about. Remember what it was about that experience that delighted you. And it was good. Now, without naming names, think about the worst wedding reception you've been to. Think about how Things weren't working out for you. How you were waiting in line for a long time for appetizers. Or you wondered how many pictures does the bride really need to take? Or you think, are they ever going to cut this cake because I just want to go home? And don't tell anybody which wedding reception it was where you were miserable. But you think about the contrast in those two things and you, you realize that wedding receptions can be fun, but they're not always fun. We attend because they're important. And what's important is supporting a couple, not just our experience of it. Although every couple who plans their wedding reception does plan it, hoping you will have an amazing time. And those divergent experiences about a bad reception or a good reception, 
make me wonder about Jesus' presence here in Cana. It was an important event, which is why it was he was there with his mother. And it seems like, even though he's not really all that thrilled to make the water into wine, he's, he's really comfortable with crafting an experience that delights and then performing this miracle in a way that, that shapes the future of those who will witness it. In studying this, I came across a commentator who writes uh, on, online about the upcoming scriptures for the week. John Nancaro is an Episcopal priest in uh, the mountains of Virginia, and he wrote, The wine miracle at Cana is remarkable among all the extraordinary works of Jesus because it's the only one in which someone's health or safety is not at stake. Unlike healings or exorcisms or even stilling the storm or multiplying the loaves, no one's really in danger at this wedding party. Jesus performs this sign simply for the joy of it. Oh, to be sure, in those days, drinking wine was generally safer than water, insomuch as the alcohol in the wine could neutralize the microorganisms found in the water. But any guest who didn't want to drink water could have simply left the party and gone home. There was possibly no need for this miracle so its inclusion must have more to do with its value as a sign than as a practical relief of need. This kind of interpretation probably would not have sat well with our temperance-influenced grandmothers and grandfathers. That Jesus would have done a miracle like this for the joy of it? Oh, he helped the bridegroom save face, yes. And, and, and it certainly matters, yes it does, that he turned the dirtiest of water into, well, wine, which would be the symbol of salvation and forgiveness. But, but I think it's okay if we feel an undercurrent of delight in Jesus performing this miracle of turning water into wine. He could have sent people for more wine. But he made it. He could have made just passable wine with just enough of the alcohol in it to, you know, kill the microorganisms that can make you sick. But he didn't just make enough wine to save face. He made a lot of gallons of wine if you add up those big barrels. And in a culture in which wedding receptions went on for days, Jesus kept the delight of the party going for a long time. Now, it's unfaithful to use just that sliver of an interpretation as license to do anything. But it's not a stretch to see that God wants us to experience delight in the world. Now, misuse and abuse is not delight. But days of, of fellowship, celebrating a couple who, who you love, was definitely a delight for those at that wedding reception that day. And he didn't just stoically perform teaching and healing as he wandered through 
the ancient Near East. In every case, when Jesus engaged in a miracle, there was an undercurrent of delight there. Jesus brought about joy. Now, the slogan didn't end with craft solutions that delight, experiences that delight. It goes on to talk about activities and actions that shape the future. And this miracle definitely shapes the future, especially for those who see it, witness it. The disciples believed. Of course, the traditional interpretation is important that Jesus takes the dirtiest of water and makes it the holiest, most excellent, beautiful, clean wine. This is what Jesus does. He doesn't just provide like just enough forgiveness to get you where you need to go. He doesn't just provide just enough support to you know, get you through the day. There is a sense in which Jesus goes big, that there is abundance here. Jesus is provoked by his mother. He's, he's, he's reluctant, but once he obliges, it's not just the patrons who delight from this miracle. Oh yes, those at the wedding reception definitely delight, and, and their future, their immediate future is changed because there's more wine for this celebration of family and a new couple to keep going. But that's just a small part. The bridegroom benefits. His reception of the wine from the chief steward might have shocked him. It should have pleased him. And it blessed him and it helped him save face. And in a cultural framework driven by status and shame, it would have been shameful for him to run out of wine that early in the celebration. So he benefits practically the most, but spiritually and theologically, the ones who benefit the most are the ones who have their future changed because they know what this miracle is about. The servants who saw where the cup came from, the disciples who saw what it was Jesus had done, the least important people at the wedding are the ones who see the most important miracle. And they benefit most because they know, they see that Jesus has the power to turn the dirtiest water into the finest wine. The, the lowliest of them witness Jesus taking the worst and creating a pathway for it to become the best. And they should know quickly that no matter how worthless or useless or left for dead they feel or it seems, on the third day there was this miracle. There's a possibility. Resurrection is coming. And in that way, this miracle, because it's not just for one person, it was not one that, that people could just rationalize or, or dismiss, or know enough about to scrutinize, this miracle allows those who witness it to reshape their future following this rabbi who would become their savior. The, the servants at the party represent the least among us, or represent us when we are feeling the least ourselves. And Jesus provides the light that reshapes their future. 
I know this is pure speculation, as much speculation as whether preachers call in sick on water into wine Sunday. I do wonder if those who followed Jesus around in the next few years, I wonder how many of them saw this miracle on that first day. They became disciples because they could see what others didn't, which was there is a Savior worth changing their lives for. So they had a different, better future. In Isaiah 5.26, there's a verse. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, of well-matured wines. When we think about those prophecies, typically we have to do some translation. You know, a land full of milk and honey is not just a farm with bees and cows, right? Oh, we know a land of milk and honey is a rich, glorious, promised land. But, but Isaiah 25, 6 is not abstract. A feast is coming with all of the best. The feast will have rich food for all of those who turn to the Lord, even the stewards and the servants. And there will be fine wines, the best things that they could imagine to drink. And it will be good for all people who are there. And through this miracle, Jesus is fulfilling, he's, he's gesturing towards that promise. He's creating delight and revealing that around the corner he's going to continue to fulfill prophecies and assure the people that they can delight in the Lord. Jesus' life and mission and miracles and ministry and resurrection assure all those who come to witness it that there is a future to be shaped. There is a way forward and along the way you should experience some delight. If you don't experience any delight, Why would you want to follow? IBM doesn't just make great products and services. IBM crafts experiences that delight users and shape the future. I love it. I'm going to hang on to it. Because I want it to be a part of who we are as Christian people and and, and as a church and as God's people. Because if a multi-billion dollar corporation can say this is who they want to be, well, there's no excuse for the church not being that. And I don't believe this because I want to be like a company. I believe this because I want us to be, I want us to experience all that God has for us. Which I believe is, is, is not just a calling and not just a stepping on our toes sometimes and not just... Not just help in trouble, but there are times of delight and joy and hope because of God's love for us. God's love can come into the drudgery of life and bring the wine of hope and joy. The miracles of Jesus can enter into the places that seem like death and are ready to be discarded, but but those miracles can bring about something amazing. And the behavior and essence and possibility of God in our lives, in our church, in our world, should shape and experience the moments we're in and should shape and reshape our futures. And so on the third day, Jesus performed his first miracle. After he was left for dead on the third day later on, at the end of the story, Jesus becomes the resurrection. 
And for you and for me today, there's, there's no reason we can't look into ourselves and our hearts and our lives and see how the one who performed the miracles on the third day can also bring delight and joy and reshape your future and mine as well. This is my hope for us today. This is some of what I think was happening at that wedding feast. And I believe it can happen for you and me today. And I pray we open ourselves up to the God who brings delight and reshapes our future. Will you pray with me? Eternal, holy, loving God, we give you thanks for this day and for this place and for this time together. Pray, Lord, that the songs that have been sung, that the words that have been prayed, that the scriptures that have been read will evoke in us the delight of your presence within us and the hope that you are reshaping our future for us and that you are with us as we move into it. Loving God, help us to hear your voice today. Reach into our hearts and let us know how we can adjust and readjust Reach into our lives and help us to see the miracles you're performing even still now. And help us, Lord, to be supported in love as we go out this door, more so than we were when we come in. This, O oh Lord, is our prayer. These are our prayers, and we offer them in the name of Jesus Christ, the miracle worker and our risen Lord. Amen.